Yo, shit, man, you hear those beats coming to that brother's car over there? Yo, word, that shit's dope, man. What is that? Yo, those beats be hard. Go ask him what that shit is. Yo, bro, what those beats coming out those Alpines? Cold chillin' 98. Illin, illin, chillin' like a villain I got the rhymes because I am willing to Bust out the beats that you all need to hear For my lyrical throat Cause as you all know, the buzzards are back, yeah We're just getting warm pretty soon We'll take the world by storm With Donny D's vocals and the ringer's rhymes All we need is a little time You ask why? It's to establish ourselves It's the funniest band to come off the shelf Welcome to the latest episode of the Nickel City Soundtrack Podcast. In this episode, we interviewed Chris Ring and Donnie Walker of the band The Budgets. If you know Chris and Donnie, um, they've had a few different stops on their kind of musical journey. Kind of started with, I think, The Budgets that were first, then The Budget Distro, where they uh, bought old record collections of uh, people who stopped listening to hardcore they uh, did shows his DC connections, and Chris mostly did shows, does shows his After Dark presents right now, or After Dark Entertainment. So we talked about their different uh, things that they had going on. Chris and Donnie are cousins, so we talked about that a little bit. Um, this was the first episode we did without Chris, who is as you know, the kind of the guy who is the founder of Nickel City Soundtrack. He came up with the idea. It's kind of his baby. I uh, helped him out with it, and we brought uh, Derek and Alex along for the ride as well. So enjoy this episode with Chris and Donnie, and uh, we'll hopefully have Chris back on the next one. He's been a little bit busy with his job, so we'll we'll get back to normal next time. So See you on the next one. Peace. to the latest episode of Nickel City Soundtrack. Um, this is our first episode without our our founding member, Chris Wyatt, who unfortunately cannot be here tonight because he has other things going on that he has to attend to. So uh, tonight's crew is going to be me, I'm Mark. I'm Alex. And I'm Derek. And we have um, two members of the world-famous punk rock band, The Budget Song. <laughs> you guys introduce yourself. 
Go ahead, Don. Donnie Walker. And Chris Ring. And, uh, well, they're in the band of budgets. We're not talking about that. Uh, Donnie and Chris, you guys are cousins, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. First cousins? Yep. yep. We're going to talk about a little thing you guys did back in the day. <laughs> Where, um, I mean, did you guys refer to it as the dropout distro, or did we just call it that? I think you guys just called it that. Yeah. Did you guys have a name for it? We called it budget distro. Uh, just to keep That's it right. In. It was the budget distro. It was the budget distro. Um, but I think it was whether you called it or somebody came up with the dropout distro. It's probably that's, that's a very <laughs> thing. But it was a very fitting name. So, uh, you know. So, so back in the day, these guys, they, you know, guys like drop out of hardcore every day, as the listeners may or may not know. And these guys bought their old records. So we're going to talk about that uh, that whole thing and how that kind of came about and uh, some interesting stuff you guys did with that. So, um, well, Alex, you want to you ask a question? Well, I guess the uh, the impetus for that was DC Connections, right? Yep. Uh, how did you guys get started with that and when? I mean, I mean it's, it's fucked up, but everything goes back to the budgets. And uh, <laughs> I mean, we were horrible, right? I mean, nobody would book us. So Don and I were just like, we're going to do our own show. And uh, run out of a roller rink in West Seneca, threw a party with a bunch of our friends' local bands and at that time in our lives, Donnie, were, Donnie and I were also both mall rats. So, you know, hang at the mall every weekend. You befriend a lot of the other mall rats that exist. And <laughs> just being out there, handing out flyers, saying, come see our band play. Next thing you know, 300 kids showed up. See, a, you know, a horrendous local punk band come play at one of our first shows. And uh, the show was unbelievable. You know, our friends' bands played. They had a great time. Kids bought tons of merch. They're moshing to feedback. I mean, it was just like <laughs> unheard of stuff. So we kind of got this idea that, like, you know, to do more shows on the regular, you know, featuring like, you know, more of our local punk bands and the like hardcore bands and things like that. So that's kind of how it all started. Who else played that first show? What was it? The Skanks? Skanks, uh, Gorgeous. My Baby's Mama, which was Matt Roberts, Rand Randy Howell, or uh, Foyle, Matt Sapphire. Uh, I want to say Buzz might have been in that band. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, My Baby's Mama. Eight <laughs> Nuts. <laughs> Ape nuts, yes, that was some some West Seneca fame there. Um, it was actually our first. It was, that was literally like our first show. I remember it being September, my my college year, nineteen ninety seven, uh, and it was like a big back to school show, and uh, yeah, it went really really well. So, who was in the budget lineup at that point? Me, Chris, John McCarthy. That was it. That was, that was it. Three people. Nobody, nobody asked Robert to play that night, and he backed out the night before. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys have three piece? Three piece. No, no bass player. I didn't use a kick drum. Uh, <laughs> like guitar, snare, hi hat, and like Donnie screaming. Why do men have nipples? You know the classic, the classic budget song. Why do men have nipples? <laughs> You guys were so budgeted. You guys didn't have a bass player. Oh, I, I, I mean, then we got rid of the bass player. Then we went to a straight guitar player for a while with, with Steve Michike. And uh, it wasn't until like later in the years that we decided to put the, a full band together. Yeah. What a podcast. Okay. Great. Yeah. <laughs> so, so back okay. to the back, back to the distro. What was like the spark to start that? Like, what was the first person you hit up? Be like, yo, let me buy your your old records that are just sitting in a box somewhere. 
see our buddy was kind of getting rid of his, so he just let us go through and we picked what we wanted. And then he's like, oh, I'm just gonna give them away. And we're like, well, let's circle back and we'll we'll buy them off you. And we're just kind of like, well, let's buy them and sell them, the ones we don't want. And that's what we did. So who we, who was the who was the first person? Jay Amico. Oh really? Yeah. Jay Amico. Of yeah, Home of the Hits fame. <laughs> <laughs> It was weird. It was like, you know, in that 1997, 98 era where hardcore kids started turning to the rave scene yeah. uh, and there was more, you know, rave parties and everything like that happening downtown. And, you know, they used to be straight edge. Now they're not straight edge. They had all these records just piling up and, uh, you know, Jay didn't really technically go rave, but he definitely stopped going to shows and doing all that hardcore stuff. And then other friends of ours kind of followed suit. So it was kind of an easy thing. And then I want to say Don, had the idea to like look up thank yous and start looking at people's names in the phone books and being like, whoa, Jeff Drought hasn't been to a show in seven years. Let's find him. And next thing you know, we're in fucking Blaisdell buying his records. And his <laughs> like, like just super random, but it worked, you know what I mean? <laughs> Cold so calling dudes. So you, you, know? called, you called Jeff Drought. Like, what does he say? Like, <laughs> Come on over. Yeah, literally, come on yeah, over. Literally. Like, all right, who wants this stuff? I mean, that was the reaction we got from a lot of people. Yeah, that, that, that like that back then. You know, I think I don't even know if eBay was around yet, or maybe it just no, started. I don't think it, it was just so new, you know. And for us, we just looked at it as, as, a, as a way to like, I don't know, give us something to do at shows, give us you know more reason to go to out of town shows, festivals, things like that. And we're like, hey, we'll bring these records, sell them. It'll pay for the trip, and we'd go see, see sick bands, but not to really pay for anything. So that was kind of the thought process. It's a good idea. I bought many of records from there, so and demos. <laughs> and I'm sure on the cheap. I mean, some of the demos, I'm not gonna lie, we would set up late at night and just redub those fucking things. So, <laughs> no like, way. Fucking, yeah, <laughs> it was uh, it was more than always suspicious to me part. that you you always had like three copies of the Snapcase demo on hand. Funny, we still got twelve of them if you need one. So uh, never run out, you know. We only had one in the the box at the time. Yeah. <laughs> You had backstock. Oh, I saw the backstock. But it was always <laughs> the paper was always crinkled. It always looked legit. So <laughs> anyone needs a label, I might have one. <laughs> the original Rick to Life, man. Holy shit! Yeah, you guys are you guys are proto Rick to Life. <laughs> very, very resourceful. I think Rick beat him by a little bit. Rick was uh, Rick's actually responsible for the rarest version of the Floor Punch demo. Yeah. Because he asked them for copies to sell but they knew about what he did. And uh, for anybody who like fucked around with copying stuff uh, around that time, you know that if you try to photocopy anything on red paper, it just looks, it looks like a nightmare. So the, the floor punch demo there, there's like a dozen copies that have red covers that they made specifically for Rick to life so that he couldn't bootleg it. No, yeah. <laughs> wow. that's great. There's always way around. <laughs> There's always a way around. Nowadays, ours, ours, ours would have been, we would build it as the second pressing. So then no matter what, there's still <laughs> limited edition second pressing on yellow paper, you know? <laughs> you guys made up pressings of, of tapes. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So Jeff Drought, you buy his record collection. So these first couple of collections, were there anything that like you like acquired that was like, like, whoa, this guy is getting rid of this and this is worth a lot of freaking money. Or this is this is a very 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 rare record. I kept a lot of stuff, but just stuff I wanted, not because of value or because of stuff I kept. Mainly was just 
probably the least value stuff. The other stuff, I was like, well, let's sell it because I want to go to this show. Yeah. I mean, we had some good records come through, early Chain of Strength records, and uh, the Revelation Can Suck It record. I mean, we, we'd come out to a show the next day, and then just, people would just freak out. It was crazy. Yeah. And, and we weren't charging, like, real money. I mean, when I say we were probably charging, like, what do we sell that Chain of Strength one for? Like Five dollars. Yeah. I mean, it was, like, first pressing. I mean, the, the, who, it was the drummer of, like, I don't know, Extinction or who? I can't remember what band. Harvest, I think it was. Who was it? I think it was the singer for Harvest, I think. Yeah, maybe that. Oh, yeah. It was, it was one of the dudes in that band, like, couldn't believe that that's what the price was. And he's like, honey, wait right here. I'm going back to the car to, like, get money. And she's like, no, 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 let's go. And he's like, no, 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 I'm coming right back. Like, couldn't believe that we were selling for fucking $5, you know? We, we weren't selling this stuff for hundreds. It was just, we had a lot of it, you know? So it was five bucks here, seven bucks there, you know? And, uh, always paid for our denny's late night trips or our our shows out of town you know yeah so are there any so did you buy records from people outside of buffalo or just in buffalo i think just in buffalo yeah it was really mainly you know surrounding suburbs buffalo kids um i mean honestly looking back now you know it probably would have been really easy when we went to those other shows i feel like sometimes kids would meet us up in like other shows but the thing is those kids were still going to shows right so it's not like they were really trying to get rid of their collections um and we weren't driving to Syracuse just to go find some ex-hardcore kid who's a raver now to like hope he's got a sick collection. You know what I mean? Like it was yeah. like I said, Bladesdale. I mean, Lockport might have been the furthest that we were traveling to do some of this stuff. Um, sometimes they'd meet in some weird parking lots and stuff like that, and it was just like sketchy. Oh, yeah, sketchy. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it was, it was, it was, looking back on it, it was so ridiculous. But. <laughs> that is very sketchy. What was the sketchiest interaction that you had along those lines? Just meeting up in some weird ass place where you thought you were going to get stabbed. I've had those. I've had those record deals. I've had those record deals. None back from back then, but uh, I can't can say a sketchy one per se. But the Jeff Drop one was definitely weird because <laughs> I never even met this kid, and he we walks in, and we're like, "We'll take it all," and he was just, you know, floor that we would want this stuff. Yeah, we didn't even we didn't look through it all. We we're just like we just saw everything yeah. out there, and it was just like we'll take it all. But even like back then, dude, there's no map quest on your cell phone. You're driving through the boonies of Blaisdell, like you know, you, you have no idea what you're gonna end up with. You know who these dudes are if they're gonna be fucking coked out of their minds because now they're ravers. Like no, nothing against the ravers now or whatever, but uh, <laughs> you know, it was always just like you know a story or, or something to do. So, say Jeff Drat was a raver, or are you not commenting on that? <laughs> I think he just got over hardcore. I think that's what it was. I think he just kind of, yeah. he wasn't, he wasn't not, it's just, he wasn't going to shows. So I mean, I think we saw him on like the despair. Thank you. Or like an envious. Thank you. And it was like, whatever Jeff's last name was or whatever. And we looked him up on the phone book and he answered. It was like, yeah, come over. He's stranger. <laughs> like what the hell? I see him often. Really? Yeah. 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 Where do you see him? Um, he, he lives by my work and, uh, I talked to him once in a while. He's always like, yeah, some of those days were the best days of my life. I'm like, damn, really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh. he seemed to, I heard that uh, the reason why he stopped going to shows is because <laughs> punched him or something. Really? Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. Someone punched him or something. So he, he felt like he couldn't go to shows anymore. But, yeah. So who would you say, like, is the biggest named person that you bought their records from? 
Don't say Jeff Trout. <laughs> <laughs> interesting, interesting. Walker, do you got any memory of it or what? I don't know. Biggest name? And I guess that's no any one in bands that you bought their their collections besides Jeff Trout. <laughs> Who was it? I mean, did we get before Detroit Fest? Who was who did we get all those records from before Detroit Fest? Do you remember? No. I remember sitting in my living room, like we we're like itemizing, it, and Chris Bain was there. We we're getting ready to leave, and he was like talking all this shit about how these records suck and <laughs> we're out of our mind and all this sort of stuff. And I think we made like three thousand dollars that trip, and like we're sitting in the hotel room at night, just like Chris Ring and you know Anthony <laughs> dropping the money, like yeah, Bain, look at all this shit. <laughs> Three thousand dollars off someone's old. It, it awesome. <laughs> you know, we were doing a lot of shows back then too, and I remember the Detroit Fest. Uh, guys were trading us the Kinko's cards. You know, they're like, "Yo, here's like two hundred dollars yeah. on a Kinko's card for thirty bucks worth of records." You know, so we're like, "Oh shit, this is awesome!" So whether it was cash or trade, you know, we were always open to kind of, yeah, you know, do, working out a deal. But yeah, um, no. I mean, I don't think. I mean, I, I mean, it's fun. I wish I had more memory of the people, but I feel like it was a lot of like the West Seneca kids that kind of sold out. Um, yeah, I mean, did we get like a Sweet Baby Tim or like some of the Chitawaga guys? I'm trying to picture like guys are a little closer to us that like were giving us records. But I mean, um, I think there's still there's still people that go to shows that we got records from. They were just like, oh yeah. Did anyone like give you records the money? Now you you ended up buying. Did it, was anyone like fuck hardcore? Take my records. Get these out of my life. <laughs> None that I can. Think. Okay. You know, I mean, so uh, I'm vaguely remembering this, Don. I mean, so either we either did like a Ronnie Ponch or like a Bullets. Do you remember either of those? You got Ron records. Sure. What you What's tell me about tell me about Ron Kincaid. Where's that guy been? I don't know. He's on Facebook somewhere. Is he? <laughs> he was living off Forest at the time. Yeah, he was like tight with the Sam Twenty Two guys at the time, or when he was, he was in the band or whatever. And he was definitely in Sam Twenty Two. He was in the band yep. when they played at uh, UB. Yeah. I definitely think he was one of the ones, you know, if I'm going to allude to anybody being like, I, I outgrew hardcore, it would have been like a Ronnie Ponch, you know. <laughs> Where did that he name come also, from? <laughs> he was also in Drought. So oh, was yeah. like, you guys hit up two members of Drought. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I didn't know that. What happened to that dude? Kind of, he just kind of left. Yeah. <laughs> well... I remember he, uh, Larry and pranked him on the WBNY show. Yeah, they like, called him up during the show and like pranked Ron Switch Dance. I can't remember what they they said, but it was kind of funny at the time. One thing I'm not proud of is when they had that BNY show uh, treats for Tiger Star. Me and Donnie were actually dumb enough to bring them money taco one night. <laughs> oh, did you get a t-shirt? Now giving garlic or Larry anything for free is just asinine. So the fact that we bought them money taco, <laughs> didn't know them, was just like, I was so pissed. What kids did back then? What the kids did back then, yeah. yeah the records yeah. they gave us that night actually went into budget distro, though. They did give us some free shit from BNY that night, that's right. Oh, did they? <laughs> <laughs> Should we bleep that out? <laughs> <laughs> Statue limitations is over from that stuff, so who cares, right? <laughs> State's not listening. Don't worry about it. So here's a question. Chris Wyatt asked this question. Did you guys ever acquire any uh, any um, sketchy records? Like, you know, from from some guys who may have been, uh, like, uh, on the other side of, like... Uh, guys know, who wouldn't care for Mark. <laughs> people who wouldn't care for me. 
Interesting. Um, I don't know if you're like no alibi sort of shit. Yeah, yeah. that type of stuff. Not so you might refer to them as Christmas records because reasonable people don't want them, and uh, you know they're they're fucking tough to move. Wow. Well, was that a rumor that me and Donnie had a side deal selling no alibi records? No, we're just wondering if you if you if you acquired any. That's all. To make it sure, because that never happened. No. You want to out anybody with uh, with you know questionable uh, questionable histories? Then by all means. I mean, the record collection does give you a little introspect of these people, but yeah, I mean, that's what we, I, I wish we had more great insight on this stuff. I mean, obviously, when we did it all, we weren't really paying attention. It was more just like grade another score we'd move on you know but nothing that stands out of like holy shit that guy's a total scumbag you know guys are like the cmb over here <laughs> cash money brothers <laughs> am i my brother's keeper yes i am <laughs> all the good old days <laughs> those new jack city days who's wesley snipes and who's and who's uh alan payne <laughs> I don't mind being the behind the scenes guy. He can be like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, but um, I mean, next time you just got to send me some of these questions ahead of time so we can actually do a little more. No, there's no delicate. cheating. There's no cheating in hardcore. <laughs> I mean, bro, I mean, it's just, I mean, budget digital lasted like, I mean, maybe two years, maybe. I'd say about two years. Yeah. You guys still have, I mean, how, how are your record collections now? I mean, I actually still buy and sell collections on eBay. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't come across much hardcore punk these days, but uh, I still do it as like a side gig. Just my basement's packed. Yeah. <laughs> I lost all my records in a flood at my house uh, when I was away from my honeymoon. So I've got like four records to my name right now. It's really? It's so annoying. Did you lose anything really, uh, really um, sentimental, I guess? Um, I mean, from budget dish, I mean, we had like test press. I mean, I remember, you know, we'd like the spare stuff or like an envy thing. I mean, like more like local shit that yeah. I, you know, I cared about. Um, but like I had like endpoint records, uh, unbroken records that I'm not going to, you know, I mean, I can go search them, I'm sure, and find the stuff or like split seven inches with encounter and some other shit that like was random that I had that like, yeah. you know, to go down that wormhole to try to dig up is just going to be kind of probably more, more work than it's worth. But, um, mm -hmm. You know, it's funny, my wife's an artist and, you know, we, I gave her the attic when we, she moved in and had to move all my shit into the basement and literally on our honeymoon basement, like, ended up getting like six feet of water. Um, every baseball card, every record, every fucking yearbook, every fucking VHS tape of budget shows and hardcore shows and everything just totally ruined. So, it's like, oh, that sucks, man. Sorry to hear that. that was brutal. All those budget shows, man, lost to history. I got plenty. Above, so. Plenty. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. So, is it true that there was two budgets going on at the same time? I don't. I don't remember this, but I. Someone said something like that. Yeah, there I was. Think, it was close. It was pretty close. I mean, Don moved to Florida for a couple of years, and uh, when he moved to Florida, you know, I had to keep the dream alive. So. <laughs> That's when I put together the, we call it the MTV version with Jordan from ETID, Mitch from ETID, John Miro, yeah. uh, Steve Ryder, and uh, Ryan Caprio. And I was more of like the boss tone of the band. Like just jump around with a, a white towel, you know? Um, I, 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 yeah. 
and it was like you know we made like a pop punk record you know like we tried to like you know do our thing and honestly i still think the record's good i actually listen to it pretty regularly uh <laughs> but then we, had a, we got we had a falling out we actually got added to warp tour that year and uh we got kicked off warp tour because jordan and mitch were selling their back got caught selling their backstage passes oh yeah uh so we were supposed to open up for dillinger four like two days later and we had this big blowout that was the last show of that incarnation don moved back so then we started like the more amberetta-esque kind of budgets and uh they went on well they went on and tried to still do like their version but i booked all the shows so they weren't very successful so so you blocked them <laughs> <laughs> No, man, you have to play wherever you want. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Some, that's some kingpin shit. And Dillinger 4 <laughs> show was the last? What's that, Alex? The Dillinger 4 show was the last one? Of the Class 2000 budget show, yeah. I didn't realize that. I was at that. It was, uh, it was fucking ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. It was, I was annoyed because we were supposed to be direct support, but Mitch double booked the night with a Kid Gorgeous show in like St. Catharines, and we had to switch to like play like first or second. Yeah. So I, I gave the band a hard stance, like kick Mitch out or kick me out. And the band's like, you don't do anything. Like you're out. And I'm like, okay, sure. <laughs> Touche. Touche. So, I mean, we're still boys to this day, but it's just funny shit, you know? <laughs> the boys ever play anything out? Oh uh, yeah. Tons of stuff, man. Like what? You said, did we ever put anything out? Yeah. yeah the CD you just said. Yeah, we cost uh, a thousand. Yeah. We had the guys from uh, Tomorrow's at Stake put out the record on their long shot records. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then Don got us on some compilations and yeah. we did a tour like Catch 22. I mean, you know, shockingly, we, we did some stuff, you know, you yeah. know for a local shit punk pad that, again, I still barely use my kick pedal. And uh, Joel Staniszewski always played on the recordings and stuff like that. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I mean, it was just a facade, but it just gave us a reason to get out of town for a couple of weeks, you know? <laughs> Wow, the, the the curtain comes back now. But man, are we trying to get the show? We just need Donnie to fucking suck it up. We were very upfront about our playing. <laughs> <laughs> so are the budgets broken up, or is it just like a long hiatus? No, we're always together. Yeah? Yeah, just not active. When was the last budget show? That show, or was there another one after that? Uh, Dillinger 4 show? Oh, yeah, there was... Plenty. That was just that carnation of it. That was that last show. We kept going until 2004. Yeah. I want to say even 2005 when I moved to Jersey. Yeah, you guys were still playing without <clears throat> me. And Joel went to yeah. drums. He went off a of bass. I mean, this has just been, I mean, there's been literally 100 members. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you moved to Jersey. I don't remember that. I don't remember that. Yeah. I moved in 05 and uh, Jeremy Grodick took over after Dark Glow was gone for a couple of years. And I was in Jersey, New York. I was still booking like upstate stuff. I just wasn't here. Yeah. Interesting. Did you book anything down there? I did the Bamboozle Festival. I mean, it's definitely more. I was booking the Stone Pony. I mean, I yeah. booked the Lifetime Reunion show. I was booking Hellfest that was a disaster in Trenton. Um, that though led to the Lifetime Reunion shows. It was unbelievable. Um, did you book that one with the Bad Luck 13 extravaganza? No, that was a couple years before me. Okay. That was... Was that one still in Syracuse? Was that like the last one in Syracuse, if I remember? I thought that was in Jersey, up in uh, like a little northern Jersey. Um, huh. I think Bad Luck 13 was in Jersey. Yeah, I've like only that. seen videos of that. I, I had no interest in going to that, but, you know, pretty fucking wild. Yeah. 
it looked interesting. Yeah. Say that. So, I think so, you booked. I think you booked Dead Hearts in uh, New Jersey with uh, Sick of It All. Yeah, remember right? Yeah, like Bloomfield Cafe or something like that. It was yeah, like yeah, a, yeah, 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 yeah. That thing was fucking great. Yeah, it was a cool, cool little club. But yeah. that was my that was my first uh, that Sick of It All show was my first introduction to New York City hardcore guys and yeah. Philadelphia guys coming into Jersey. Uh, luckily, there's no beef, but uh, the dudes don't pay. To, they don't pay at the door. They just walk in like in massive <laughs> twenty five dudes, and there's nobody does shit about it. And it's just like, wow, this is crazy. Okay, wow, that's yeah. crazy. <laughs> luckily, we didn't have to deal with that much in Buffalo, but yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> no tough that. guys in Buffalo. Knock on wood, the Courage Crew or Syracuse Sluggers never really uh, established themselves back in the day. <laughs> So we mentioned DC, you mentioned After Dark. How, how did that shift take place? Uh, I mean, Don and I were doing shows at DC and then we got offered a job to go work. Uh, I mean, we were doing a bunch of shows, but we did like the Vanilla Ice show with Scarhead. Uh, that was like our first, you know, we call it our real show, right, Don? Yeah, I mean, I would call it real, but definitely our biggest. Definitely right. the most important. Yeah, the real agent and like running out like a real venue and stuff like that. And uh and we lied to the agents, you know, we told them that we basically <laughs> booked Earth Crisis and all these, you know, the big hardcore bands. And now the Vanilla Ice was going metal that they should work with us. Changed my parents' answer machine to a business. Made my parents answered his DC connections. They're like, what the fuck? <laughs> and uh, but they sold us the show. And then from that point on, like that, that agent, uh, Scarhead's agent, um, just kept calling us like for their band shows. Like Scarhead's agent sold us the, the neurosis show at Showplace that everybody loved, but that we hated because we had to borrow money from our grandmother because we lost a couple thousand dollars on that night. Okay. Um, but then all of a sudden it became like, you know, booking agents started calling us. So we did that. We made a little name for ourselves. And then this local company offered us a job. Um, I took the job. Don didn't necessarily want to work 24-7. And that's kind of what the show booking business is. Um, so I worked at ESI for a couple of years. Don worked, worked at Denny's, still does, and um, did that till 2001, maybe. And then they wanted me to book way more cover band shit and just, like, like move sound systems from fucking JT Wheatfields to fucking the Fun House and Disco Duck. And it's just shit that I didn't want to do, you know? I was like, yeah. fuck this. Like, I'm just going to go back on my own. And I uh, started After Dark, after the Peach Pit After Dark in 2001. My logo is the After Dark logo, or the 902 logo, if you didn't know. And, uh, yeah, just went back on my own. And that was it. <laughs> I did not know that that was their logo. No those, shit. Those are my best friends for 10 years back in the day. So uh, I had a little, little tribute to Brendan and Brandon and all, all them. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you stop doing DC? What do you think, Walker, 99, 2000? No, we were doing 2000 shows. So I would say sometime probably late 2000, mid, mid to late 2000. Yeah, I guess because even when I was at ESI, we were still doing shows on the side, like the smaller stuff they didn't give a shit about, like at the basement bar and stuff. Um, yeah. So like I was still booking the show place for ESI, doing like more like the Hot Water Music, Get Up Kids stuff. But like Don and I would still do like Jersey and fucking, you know, Amberetta or like, you know, the smaller punk bands and stuff like that. We did Scarhead at the basement bar and, you know, the metal pit shows and all those sort of things. Oh, the metal pit. 
R.I.P. the Metal Pit. The fuck, like seriously, the coolest venue that I will ever go to. I mean, I, that is insane. Awesome. <laughs> it is the shittiest place that I will ever pay money to be in my entire life, and it, it like, I legitimately am shocked that I don't know of anybody getting tetanus there. Yeah, I mean, it served a purpose, but. Yeah. Did you find the metal pit, or was that like something you found a place to book? Was that you? I think they found us. Oh, really? Was it from yeah. Rob, or was it from somebody else? <clears throat> it was someone through Rob, and then they he wanted to sit down with us and talk and see at this great venue, and we get there, and we're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> metal pit Rob was boys with Vogel through like uh, like their American frozen foods, like telemarketing shit that they did, you know, for a long time. Yeah. So we met him through that, and uh, but he was like a South Towns guy or something. He, you know, found this metal pit, and it's just like. I don't even know where the name came from, to be honest with you. Like the old yeah. owner slept there, like in a safe, and the stage was just drywall slabs that stacked on top of each other. I mean, it was waterlogged drywall. It's just fucking ridiculous. You know? <laughs> um, we literally run extension cords from the building next door. Like, I mean, it was just the plumbing, same way DIY as you could get. You know, the only light in the building was like a creepy ass horror movie style light bulb swinging from a from a yeah. wire. Yeah. Yep, and a skylight. The one, the one kid that worked there cleaning the venue, we called him Dirty Dan, ended up becoming a budget, so that was nice. Um, still one of our good friends to this day. Uh, full circle. Full circle. <laughs> <laughs> How many shows were there at the Metal Pit that you can think of? Did a lot. About a, lot. a dozen that I could think of. I think we did more than a dozen. Um, <clears throat> a lot of those were real local shows, though. Yeah. We had a lot of local bands. Uh, Fourth of July, we had a big one with, what was it, like... Uh, Game face. Game facing Kindles, maybe. Yeah, uh, remember that show. Um, yeah. Firework that, war outside. Yeah, that was great. That was the, the night that I was mad at Metal Pit Rob. So, Ricky yep. smashed the mirror for me on stage as an accident, but it was all on purpose. <laughs> all talked about before the set started. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, we that show, uh, and I flagged there. They talk like completely normal, normal humans. Then they get on stage with these crazy British accents. It's just like, that was wild. <laughs> we, did, we did some like, you know, I guess we'll call them real bands there. You know, bands that are still together today that are, that do pretty well. And, uh, but yeah, it was definitely a lot more like local stuff to imports, like, yeah, you know, like local punk bands and stuff like that. So let's talk about After Dark. What do you got? Yeah. Is, After Dark is still your current thing, right? Yeah, it's still my baby. Yeah. Like, is it just straight fake it till you make it style when you're trying to bridge that gap from, you know, like booking uh, another victim at Sakura Post to getting Vanilla Ice on his, you know, attempt at a comeback up to getting like the Descendants at a venue that holds 4,000 people? Right. Um, to a degree. Yeah. I mean, it was more or less, you know, ask for forgiveness if shit goes wrong and be like, oops we weren't real promoters, you know what I mean? Like, but at the, at the same time, there's not a lot of people do like that book concerts. Right. So it's not like agents have a lot of options to go to. Mm-hmm. So if you have a good reputation or you're just offering them a shit ton of money, cause it's a very whorish business. Um, they're willing to roll the dice on, you know, and say, Oh fuck, let's hope this works out there. I mean, me and Don offered Vanilla Ice all of the money. We didn't yeah. know that it was to take some of the money <laughs> back and pay for sound and security. We're like, yo, we'll give it all to you. <laughs> you know? And then we realized that we were fucked. So at the, day, the same day of the show, luckily thousands of kids wanted to come. So 
kids would come in and give me their ticket. I'd give it to Don and he'd go back outside and resell it to the people waiting in line <laughs> and generate enough money to pay off security <laughs> and the sound system. You know, I mean, it's oh, true. Man. Literally. Take that it that's that's awesome. awesome. Um, so yeah, it was really fucked up. Fast forward. I mean, the same guy that sold me vanilla ice in 99, sold me guns and roses, the outer Harbor fucking 20 years later, which is just insane. You know what I mean? So we still like talk and laugh about it. And, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it's not something you really kind of go to school for. It's kind of like an experience thing, a relationship thing. And kind of once you're in it and bands vouch for you and band dudes become agents and agents become managers and shit like that. It's just, it's like a snowball effect, you know? Um, and that's kind yeah. of all. Yeah, I always yeah. thought you were around like when stuff started getting bigger and you kind of like were in it and that like you came in exactly the right time to like kind of rise with, like the stuff that was getting bigger. I yeah. thought. Yeah, I mean, dude, like, I mean, the emo era, you know, the brand yeah, new the dashboard, the newfound glories. I mean, that was all shit that was like in my wheelhouse that, you know, newfound glory is my first arena show in 2003. I mean, it was, yeah, these are dudes, you know, we're all old hardcore kids. So it's like the fact that that stuff kind of like blew up when I was booking all those bands definitely mm-hmm. catapulted like my career in this business. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, it's, I'm not gonna say there's no, no, no looking back, but I mean, you know, it's been a, a crazy ride from venue ownerships to, you know, moving to Jersey and New York and, yeah. Madison Square Garden and stuff like that, and then coming back and like working Broadway Joe's, you know what I mean? So it's definitely yeah. like a, a a weird cycle, but um, it's cool, you know. I book a lot of shit I don't like, but now that I have a 300 cap room, it's small enough where I can book still like the up and coming bands and like yeah. give them a place to play and like go back to the you know the way it was, you know, dancing and stage diving, and it's just fun, you know. Um, so yeah. So of speaking weird. of uh, venues, can you talk about what happened with the waiting room? Yeah, that thing's over now. So uh, I had a shit lease. and yeah. But in most commercial leases, the landlords are responsible for HVAC. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we were just complaining constantly. And if you ever like look at our Facebook page, the number one complaints was how hot the downstairs was. So we custom built the upstairs when we took it over. Um, and there was like proper air conditioning and ventilation on the upstairs bar. But downstairs was already a restaurant when we took it over. So which is in the county, it's the same public assembly permits and uh, regulations. So whether it's 400 capacity or whatever, you still have the same uh, regulations that you would for any public gathering space. So basically everything's brand new though. And uh, we thought everything was like great in working order. And then we came to learn that the air conditioned units that we had were like residential air conditioned units that you'd like see at somebody's home, mm-hmm. not something for like an 8,500 8, square foot commercial building that you know, has this public assembly space. So, you know, we would like bitch to the landlords, bitch to the landlords. Uh, the one landlord actually owns like an HVAC company. So we thought it'd be like a no brainer just to like fix it. And he just wouldn't. But then we started having like email chains and like text threads, like, yo man, it's fucking hot. Like you gotta do something about this, you know? So I brought in um, Jeff Kalpa from the Ape Nuts and uh, West Seneca fame, hardcore kid. Uh, he worked for a, a HVAC company and sent a guy down and the guy looked at it, he's like, listen, he's like, you know, I'm kind of legally obligated being licensed in the city to let them know if somebody's operating something not to code, you know, I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to send an email to you so you can look forward to your landlord. So he did. And I sent to them. Now there's a paper trail of us knowing that it's not to code. Uh, mind you, a couple months before that, or maybe even a year, we did the streetlight manifesto show where the floor collapsed. And uh, that was kind of my like great white fire moment of like, holy, holy shit don't oversell a show past legal capacity 
uh, you know, God forbid something would happen. I mean, you go to jail for that shit, right? Like, I'm not going to go to jail over a street like manifesto show. Like, it's ridiculous. So, uh, you know, we did everything by the books from that point moving forward. So now that we had this paper trail, you know, I just kept pressing them, pressing them, pressing them. Uh, it was the night of we actually had West Side Gun and Conway. It was a Griselda show at Waiting Room. And Kerfuffle was the same night. I was actually down at Kerfuffle because I also um, have an ATM business where we had the ATMs outside. So I'm down there getting tearing that down. And I get a call that one of the guys that works for me, like got rushed to the hospital. He had like a seizure at the show. So I come back and uh, they tell me what happened. And you walked into the room and bro, it was fucking a thousand degrees. I mean, it was so hot. And there was a July, a July date. And I'm like, what the fuck? And the doctor two days later told him that he, he had a heat stroke. And, uh, you know, luckily he didn't hit his head. Uh, but like, God forbid something would happen, you know, I'd been personally liable because I'm, I'm knowingly operating this space not to code, even though it's their responsibility as a liquor license holder and as the operator, you know, I have a due diligence to the, the people coming there to like, you know, I'm not supposed to do that. Right. So I told my attorney, I'm like, I can't open, you know, like this, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to like risk going to jail over fucking this stuff. So basically I said, okay, I'm done. I'm not giving you rent till you fix it. They're like, all right, well, we're not going to let you stay here unless you fix it. And they called my bluff because we put in, you know, a shit ton of money building out the upstairs venue. Um, I called their bluff being like, well, who else are you going to get come in here? Right. And it was like the standoff. So in theory, I'm going to say, I'm going to say I won because even though wait, your rec room is not the same as not like my baby, it is 100,000 times more successful than a waiting room was. Um, I learned a lot at waiting room and, and, you know, I'm a half full kind of guy. So it was, you know, like I said, it was my baby having that place, but um, they're still vacant. You know what I mean? And it's just all, you know, all those guys had to do is put like a $50,000 HVAC system in and I'd probably still be there, you know? So uh, it's definitely like frustrating, you know, the way it went down and uh, to see that, like still just sitting there and like the waiting room, like awning still in the back. I and mean, I drive by it every day when I go down to Chippewa and it's just like, man, you guys were so short-sighted, you know? And uh it's so dumb that something so small or something like that can like actually just lead to something like that, you know, but you get a lot of egos involved and, you know, attorneys involved and they're like, well, you know, well, when I say attorneys are involved and these attorneys will argue that the fucking sky is orange. It's completely wrong. Yeah. $25,000 later, the judge says, well, maybe the sun shined a different way that day and it looked a little orange so how about we just settle you know what i mean yeah. so i think i paid them two and a half months of rent that i wasn't there mind you i still had four years left on my lease um so he, did, he didn't say i was in breach of lease where i had to you know make all the rest of those payments um so they got like my august september rent but i mean i put my life savings in that place i mean it was it was gone you know but upstairs we ripped everything out no stage no bar the the flooring I mean, you want to, you want to, anything I put in that fucking building came out that night, like those couple of days. So, um, yeah, so that's the waiting room story. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> those were two great rooms. It's really a shame. And like the amount of money that they could have put into the HVAC, you would have probably paid for it and then some by now in rent. Yeah. I mean, this was in 2000, what, 17, 16. So, yeah. And I had like, you know, I had, I had a couple long-term lease options, you know, so I mean, I, and I wasn't going to go anywhere. I mean, like I said, it was, it was there was parking. It was, it, it was between Chippewa and Allen. It was a great location downtown. I mean, it was, and it was like our baby. There was no other venues, no neighbors, like everybody closed at five o'clock, you know, besides, I mean, Asbury Hall was across the street. So we had this like 
you know, we, we started having these conversations about doing these fun, like street festivals. And like, I did house of pain in our back parking lot. I was going to do taking back Sunday every time I die in our back parking lot and launch um, like this summertime concert series that I did in, when I was in Jersey in the stone pony, we always had the stone pony summer stage, which is why I was, was kind of taking that idea from them. Oh, we could do this in waiting room and maybe work with Asbury and use their parking lot and our parking lot and do these fun little things. And then these guys were just, difficult we, we tried to buy the building i tried to get investors to buy the building and these guys just wouldn't budge on anything um so yeah i mean i never envisioned to go to chippewa in my life but i'm there and i'm glad i'm there honestly things are changing down there you know we're doing what we can to make things a little bit like less douchey and um i think we have i mean there's a lot of restaurants now hotels and stuff like that it's not just like the, the kind of club bars um i think we got a fun little small space and what we're doing there it's cool you know it works there's got to be some turnover down there as well with you know everything shutting down with COVID I imagine well that's the one thing that's nice about Chippewa is that the operators that are there have all been there for like 10 years uh I mean local might be the the newest spot maybe I think they've been there six or seven years uh the guys operate bottoms up I mean they've been there 12 years venues been there same operators for a long time even though they've changed the names um but then you look at it, like the guy that owns Soho owns Frankie Primo's like oh, the guy that owns Bada Bing also bought his building owns the whole building across the street like so the guys that are there are like invested the girl that owns the cap house you know she's she's got like a long-term lease there she's been there for like 10 years so um knock on wood I don't really think they're going to go anywhere um everybody kind of was creative in their own ways or figured out ways to kind of like make it through the the pandemic um but yeah, from a, a bar or restaurant standpoint, you're not going to see much change down there, at least on that street. There's, there's still definitely a, a ton coming locally that haven't closed yet. But um, yeah, I think that street's going to stay pretty pretty much the same. So how did you uh, how, how did you make it through the pandemic? We did fucking supper clubs and fucking brunches. And uh, I mean, it was it was a disaster, but, you know, it was important for us that no matter what we did, we still kept some sort of live music element to what we did. So you know, we had like walking sax guys or like a walking drummer, a violinist, just something that's kind of like kept live music in the space. Um, I didn't want to just be like a restaurant. I didn't want to like have that portion of the business like forgotten about, you know, um, while it's not true to really what we were doing, it was still fun to see like something different. And bro, you can go across the street and get a Tito's and soda or, or a slice of pizza, like a million different spots. Right. So you're, you're going to come to rec room for the atmosphere. It's, it's our neon signs for the photos. It's, the patio is a huge video wall for TV, for the, for sport games, you know, like you're not necessarily coming just for that sort of stuff, but if I can like sprinkle in a little things that makes it a little bit different and fun. Um, you know, that's what we try to do, but you know, it, it would have cost us less money if we just closed the whole time, but you know, we want to keep our staff working like fresh. So when we did reopen, they weren't like, how does the POS system work? Like, what are we doing? You know? Um, but yeah, I mean, we, you know, we were lucky and we're going to, you know, we're still waiting on our Save Our Stages grant. Uh, after Dark got that, Rec Room's still waiting for theirs, which is also like a huge lifeline for venues across the country. Um, tons of Buffalo venues got that money and, you know, that basically going to save, you know, the Mohawk places of the world, the Ironworks of the world and things like that. And each has got a good grant. So um, you're not going to see really, I don't think any local venues closed because of the pandemic. Have you guys had a show? City, but... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Alex. Sorry. I just... I mean, I, I believe I'm not even really sure how how directly related it is to the pandemic, but Sugar City is uh, no more. Yeah, and that's a shame too. I don't I don't know. I mean, I feel like they closed right at the beginning of the pandemic, um, right? It was like 
fresh off the closure, like early summer, you know? Um, I, I think the last year and a half has, has been simultaneously, like you could condense it mentally to a week or you could expand it to 10 years yeah. and I wouldn't know the difference. So yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> I mean, they probably had not, I mean, I don't, I'm not speaking for them, but they, I mean, what were they going to do? I mean, they were a place where people came and if you don't, if people can't come there, how do you stay open, you know? Right. And they didn't serve beer, you know, there's no food and there's no beer, you know, no yeah. liquor. So for them to open, I mean, that's things we weren't allowed to do shows. So we had to like, you know, we would do these th four course tasting menus, you know, and I would put like a drummer on top of my bar um, just so again, there's some sort of live music and he would play over like the, the, the DJ music, you know? Um, and we really relied heavily on friends and family to just kind of come out and support us and, you know, some randoms here and there. And, mm -hmm. um, but it was enough to like keep the staff coming back. You know, we were adding auto gratuity on all the tabs. So they were at least making their money and, um, you know, it kind of kept us relevant at least during everything. So, uh, you know, we thought that was important. Definitely. Do you guys have a show? Have you had a show since stuff has kind of opened up or is there a show planned? Mm -hmm. You know, we did Soul Patch uh, a couple mm -hmm. of weeks ago. I, you know, I call that was the first show we've actually really had. Um, mm -hmm. When everything was open, it was good. We have Japanese breakfast tomorrow in Rochester. And we actually got an email from them yesterday saying that due to the variant, uh, they now want all of our, every staff member to be fully vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Every patron has to be fully vaccinated or show a PCR test within 48 hours. Mm -hmm. And you have to wear a mask when you're inside the venue. So to get that on a Sunday and the show's Tuesday was a little frustrating. Um, but we found out that 90% of the staff at that venue are not vaccinated yet. So we had to piecemeal a bunch of things together. And uh, it was very shocking to hear, to be honest with you, that like yeah. music industry people really weren't vaccinated. But um, yeah, people who yes. are choosing to be in insanely densely packed rooms. Yeah. Go figure, right? Yeah. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> But we got we got the vaccinated people, and um, we haven't had to refund too many tickets yet. So mm -hmm. uh, I, th I think majority of people hopefully are going to like welcome it. But the next couple of weeks are definitely going to be a little, a little weird. See how things kind of progress. Are you worried about any of your stuff that's uh, that's coming up as far as you know possible complications with you know the recent surge in in COVID stuff? Yeah, I mean, I'd be naive to say no. I mean, you know. Worst case, you know, everything postpones again and we push it all back again and, you know, we go for round two. Um, realistically, I think it's gonna, you have to show vaccination. Uh, you have to wear a mask if you're not eating or drinking. Um, so in theory, the shows will still go on. You know, when we did all of our bookings for this fall, we did it all basically on door deals. So bands that would normally get like, you know, $30,000, $40,000 guarantees, you know, Alkaline Trio, Bad Religion that we had pre-pandemic to coming back now, the deal is completely different because we had no idea what the, what the, the lay of the land would look like. And we also knew that there was going to be a million shows on top of each other and everybody's unemployed. So they can have money for the shows. And if they do, which show are they going to pick? Because there's going to be 15 of them, you know, every week they can go to. Um, and we weren't sure what their capacity restrictions would be. So basically the bands are just as much in it as we are. You know, if the show does 50 people, we split the money and it is what it is. You know, I'm not getting crushed. They're not getting crushed, but, um, I definitely think the shows will still happen. You know, these bands also need the money. The venues need the money, um, even if it's at a smaller kind of capacity. But realistically, I think we're going to see the masks come back probably within the next week or two. And, you know, we go from there. And the fact that the surge is picking up now in the summertime is definitely not a good indicator of what the fall and winter are going to look like. So, 
AC, way to bring the mood down, man. Well, Alex, <laughs> man. Down, Yo, let's talk about the budgets. <laughs> <laughs> Is there going to be a budget show in the future? Are we going to have a, a budget reunion show? Maybe a tid the season? People ask for it. <laughs> Kids are asking for it. People do still ask for it. Direct Wait. support, tid the season? Come on. There's like seven people that ask for it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Gotta find any... <laughs> we'll make it up to them someday. <laughs> My wife has told me I'm not allowed to do it, but um, you know, we'll see. Maybe I just won't tell her. <laughs> you guys gotta go play Japan or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um. So, uh, speaking of a uh, tid this season, that's happening this year, right? Supposedly. Yeah, I mean, it's on sale. It's selling. We're putting together the, the final touches to the lineup, and uh, should be cool. Yeah, looks like it's going to be a, a big deal, yeah. as it always is, which is cool. Yeah. I mean, Looking you got you got well, Eaton and you got the budgets already, so there you go. There you go. I mean, that's all you need. That's why we're almost sold out. Clearly, <laughs> <laughs> I was running to the weirdest the weirdest cross section of people at those shows. Yeah, it's not. I mean, like, like Don and I will go to like the Queen Heaven Carnival. You know, you go to some things where you see like you know, blast from the past, and then you go to like to the season now. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> people went, walk the earth. I went there like, uh, was it two times ago? The first one where you, the first one where there was wrestling. I went to that one. Yeah. And there's a kid there from freaking Texas, drove from Texas to come to this thing, which I think is a crazy. That's just Japan, nuts. Japan, Australia, um, England. We, I always look at like the zip code purchasing things, and uh, yeah, you know, and the band's obviously super cool about it. And like, you know, yeah. they get these messages from these kids who are traveling from God knows where. And uh, I mean, out of the four thousand people that come at night, I mean, there's easily a thousand to two thousand people that are not from Buffalo. You know, it's awesome. Like, That's it very is, cool. It is a, a significant portion of the people that that come to that travel for it. So it's definitely pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So fun time every year. Yeah. I mean, the the bills are not generally like, you know, handpicked for some idiot like me, but they're always, it's always a really well-run operation that's super fucking fun every time. It is a huge pain in the ass booking it when you have Andy's input and Keith's and Jordan's and Steve, like they're every different end of the spectrum you could imagine. Um, yeah. Like, then you have their agents and managers that want people and I want people. So it's like, yeah, you know, it is a whittle away session um, that goes on for a pretty long time, but collectively, you know, we've been doing it for so long that we all understand like what makes sense and um, what's important to certain people to get them on, you know, certain genres on the show or people on the show. And um, it's always worked out. So. Cool. 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 Yeah. So, um, unless you guys have anything else, yeah, I got I got one question. Um, so, like, what has been like the one band that was? Well, it's a two part question. What's been the one band that you've been most psyched to bring, and what's a band that you haven't brought yet that you you want to bring to Buffalo? Uh, I mean, it's easy. So, I mean, when we first started doing shows, you know, I said to Donnie, like. Once I book Guns N' Roses, Green Day, and The Descendants, I'm done. So like, that was always my goal. Like I grew, that's what I, I grew up. I was a Guns N' Roses kid first. Then I got into Green Day. And then I, you know, got into The Descendants, and those are just like my bands. So I've done Guns N' Roses, I've done The Descendants, 
now I just got to get Green Day. Um, and I've been close a couple times, not arena shows, but more like secret shows. Um, but the, I mean, that Descendant show that I did at Riverworks was like my baby. You know, that was just like, holy fuck. I remember texting Don and Mitch being like, yo, fucking Descendants, you know, the only band in probably 20 years. I may take a photo with me. I walked up on stage in their soundtrack and I'm like, yo, I'm a super fan. Gotta get a pick. Gotta get a pick. And uh, yeah, it's just like, you know, those are the bands I grew up listening to. They're just like iconic, you know, and they're so cool. And um, it's what still makes it fun, you know, but uh, yeah, Green Day is the next one. That's uh, and that's just like, you know, 25 years of friendship, of tour and going to shows, you know, me, Don, Mitch, and much other friends traveling to see them. And like, to be able to go from like, the kid at the front of the barricade to like booking a show for them is just it's, that's crazy you know so yeah yeah i'm not glad that the the hardcore takeover is also a dream show of mine that i did not get that they that they booked directly with the town baller and i'm livid about but uh i mean that lineup is just ridiculous so that would have been super cool definitely so so speaking of secret shows how did that uh secret fallout show fallout fallout boy show come about uh, i mean those dudes are like obviously you know hardcore kids and they're yeah. all super down with like you know the eated guys and you know i kind of became friends with them over the years from like them at the cruise in till again yeah arena level and um their manager is actually married to a girl from buffalo and uh the, their assistant manager's favorite team is the buffalo bills so there's like this weird connection mm-hmm. and they've had a day off between rochester and i think it was like michigan or something mm-hmm. um so you know i pitched the idea like yo let's let's do a secret show you know and it kind of backfired because like, okay, we'll do it. You just can't tell anybody about it. I'm like, yeah, no, no problem. They announced it as Shroot Farms. I remember posting on like Buffalo Shows board. And I was like, who the fuck's Shroot Farms? And then like two days later, they're like, oh, how many tickets do you guys sold? I'm like, none. Nobody knows who the fuck Shroot Farms is. <laughs> so I like end up telling like, you know, some friends that obviously World Sites going out, th- getting out there. I'm not going to name the member of Every Time I Die that bought a shitload of tickets and then scalped them and then end up buying a used car from the money. Um, <laughs> I didn't get to make a fucking dollar because, again, the band got all the money just to do the show, you know? And it's just like, what the fuck? But then all of a sudden, the show sells out and they call me being like, oh, my tickets are sold. I'm like, oh, we're sold out. They're like, well, how are you sold out? Nobody knows it's Fall Out Boy. And I'm like, fuck, they got me. I'm like, what do you want me to do? You know, like... <laughs> So, um, yeah, I think it was just more or less like, I, I definitely think like the Keith connection, the ET connection definitely had something to do with it. But um, just those were one of those things with the stars aligned. They had a day off, a lot of Buffalo connections. And, um, you know, they, they, they were known to do some secret fun stuff, you know, in other cities and stuff. So um, mm. that's how it happened. Were, were any of you guys there? I was not. Uh, I wouldn't take you as a follow-up boy fan. No, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> no. I uh, I didn't know about it until after it happened. Yeah. The the rumor mill missed me on that one. Yeah. I know I know plenty of people who made a lot of money off of that show though. So exactly, exactly. <laughs> me not being <laughs> one of them. <laughs> yeah. and the funny thing was afterwards we all went across the street to um what's now Lucky Day, which back then I can't remember what it was called, but Pete was dating or married to Ashley Simpson. Yeah. And and I didn't recognize it at the first, and like we're just sitting at the bar and like. So I was like, yo, that's fucking Ashley Simpson. I'm like, what is going on right now? Like, <laughs> weird scene. <laughs> so, uh, so, go on, go on, Alex. We, we heard Chris's favorite show with the, the Descendants, but Donnie, what was your favorite show you ever booked? Vanilla Ice by far. 
it was a great day. I mean, everything leading up to it was nothing but stress, but it turned out awesome. And it was a dream come true. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Literally, like, I mean, that is definitely like top five best days of my life. Yeah. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Oh, so dumb. We broke down with him. We went to see him in Rochester the next night. Then we went to Detroit with him. Uh, I mean, like, honestly, the tour manager, like, we paid them. We gave him just all their money in shoebox, like, disaster. The tour manager sits us down. He's like, listen, all the money and the nominations facing the same way when you pay an artist. We're like, all right, cool. Like, but we, we had no fucking idea what we were doing. And when they got there, and me and him are wearing Jankos and like Krishna beads, and like, who are the promoters? And we're like, we are. They're like, here, you know? And then they're like, oh, where's the runner? And I'm like, what? We don't even know what a runner is. And that's what picks up the, you know, drives the bands around. And uh, like, well, somebody's got to pick up ice from the hotel. And me and Don are like, we'll do it. We pack up all our friends in my mom's minivan, drive to the Holiday Inn on Delaware, pick him up, and the security guard gets in the car, and he's, like, looking around. And there's, like, we got, like, 10 friends with us, you know? And he's like, you never pick up the, the artist with an entourage. Like, you can't do that. And uh, I remember we left the Holiday Inn. It was, it's, like, the one at, like, uh, Delaware and North. Yeah. And opposed to, like, making a left and just kind of shooting up to, like, Hurdle, we drove down towards Chippewa, just driving all over Buffalo, hoping somebody would see this dude in my fucking minivan, you know? And uh, we pulled up in front of Showplace. There's a huge line. Eric Van Rysdam was there with, like, my home of the hits money. And he, like, runs out to the minivan. He's like, Chris, Chris. And he sees him in the back seat. He's like, oh. Then, but we had no security there at the time yet either. And Rob's like, hey, man, we got to get out of here. So we ended up taking him to the Boston market for some food and uh, came back, like, 20 minutes later. It was such a weird, weird night. But Call him, uh, Rob. Well, my boy Rob, that he introduced himself. He got, he got in the car. He's like, "Hey man, what's your name?" I'm like, "I'm Chris." He's like, "Hey man, I'm Rob." I'm like, "Yeah, you are." <laughs> are you going to see him at the casino? He Don went last time. I think he's coming with like Bobby he's Brown soon. soon. Yeah, yeah. Don, how was that last one? It was it was corny, but it was. I'll go again. Get right out of town. I message. I message him later. He's got like a, a home renovation show. Yeah. I was like, yo, how sick would that be if you come, like, redo my bathroom? But, like, I was, like, your promoter, but I wanted, like, a free bathroom, you know? And they never wrote back to me, so. <laughs> so I, thought, I thought that would have been a cool angle. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Very cool. So, uh, uh, one last thing, unless you guys have something else. It depends on what your last thing is. How about you book quicksand here on their day off between uh between Albany and Detroit? Well, maybe they played to the season. <laughs> is that a, is that a thing? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just uh, we're, we're talking hypotheticals, you know. Okay. Well, maybe I see quicksand twice. Or maybe you see him twice. Yeah, yeah. Do you book in Albany at all? Yeah, we actually just started doing some shows in Albany. Cool. Yeah. So we just opened up a Syracuse office like a year ago. Um Matt Dunn that used to do a lot of shows out there. He moved away and, um, you know, you can't always play Buffalo and Rochester. So we'll do some shows in Syracuse and now we're doing some shows in Albany too. So cool. Very cool. What else cool. we got up next Binghamton? <laughs> <laughs> Why not? You know, Elmira, Binghamton, Ithaca. We'll do that. We'll do it all. <laughs> Is Taurus City still a thing? No, got rid of that a couple of years ago when Jessica moved to California. It lasted about a year after that. I sold to the kid, uh, one of the guys, Justin, that worked for us for a long time. Um, Jessica's just uh, and yeah. 
we, we, we got it. It's just <laughs> Derek, make sure that you bleep out any uh, reference to. Yeah, yeah well, I got it. <laughs> He's just a lunatic, you know. Next thing you know, we're like printing weird T-shirts and weird sayings on it. I don't know what the fuck it means, but it's some. I have no idea. You guys just have mine. So it was a fun time. We did a lot of fun stuff. Those Conway stickers were a huge hit. That was like our claim to fame, and uh... yes. <laughs> that was his idea. No, that was that was Joe's idea, and yeah. uh, it was my idea to like print ten thousand of them and uh, <laughs> hand them out to everybody at a show one night. And Conway was so mad, so mad. He was mad though until he was yelling at me. This is the Continental, and uh, a girl walks in. I give her a sticker, and she's like, "Oh, what's this?" I'm like, "This is the sticker guy. Do you want to kiss the sticker guy?" She's like, "I'll kiss the sticker guy," and she kissed Conway, and all of a sudden he was happy. I'm like. Sweet. You're the sticker. <laughs> it all worked out. Awesome. That's all then he started getting really cocky about it, and then we yeah. just pulled it. <laughs> but I want to about that. We actually had a meeting with Shred and Reagan, and they were going to launch this whole campaign about where's Conway with billboards, and people were going to call in where they saw the stickers. It was going to be this huge fucking thing. But then Conway got too cocky with it, so we just pulled the whole thing. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of awesome. I don't like the stories. A lot of weird shit. Nice. Take that, Conway. Take that, Michael. <laughs> you, have you guys got anything else, Alex and Derek? I was going to uh, get their uh, top three Buffalo bands. Good, good, good. I like that. Donnie, you can start. Oh, Envy, Against All Hope, Buried Alive. Fine choices. Very similar to mine. Very similar. I'm going to go... Despair, Daybreak, yes, oh, very loud. Nice, nice. Yeah. So the like this when we started this podcast, we were like we were gonna talk to people about certain like you know instances of their like their their musical like life and stuff. Who do you think we should have on this podcast in the future? Don, you can start. Just, just keep Matt, it local Buffalo. or all over. Keep it local, yes, gotta be Buffalo. Or a connection to Buffalo. Um, have you had the hourglass guys on yet? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I listen to that one. Not a subscriber, I see. I <laughs> listen to one podcast in my entire life. <laughs> Don't say the muse. We had the muse on. Yeah, the music was good. Hourglass was good. Uh, yeah. yeah, I was going to say them just because they got, they're doing their stuff again. So I thought that was great. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, okay. Who would you want to hear about? Nobody? I don't listen to podcasts. Fair enough. Well, what do the people <laughs> want to hear? <laughs> what do the people want? <laughs> I was amazed you wanted to have us on. <laughs> good point. <laughs> well, once you cover Hourglass and the budgets, you've really done everything. That's yeah. it, right? What's not? <laughs> I'd vote for when you had like like Sprig and Van Rysen, What was that? Just like a, a group chat that went live, or like, like a Facebook live, or something? Yeah, we did a we did a, a YouTube live, and it was for YouTube and Facebook live. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean Earl from Discovery, I think would be cool. Definitely. Uh, I actually have no idea what the hell happened to that dude, but uh, yeah, that's good. You know, my first show was at, at Discovery, and just what he did with the clothing, all that whole thing was just super cool. And you know, I thought that was that would be fun to hear. Um, 
Jennifer from Home of the Hits, somebody you know that you know I always saw it back in the day, or Eric. I mean, obviously Eric loves to talk yeah. music, but um, definitely. I mean, I would love a Ronnie Ponch find, or like, you know, obviously <laughs> the easy guys like Andy or you know Keith or Jordan. Um, yeah. Some of that stuff. Yeah. What about like I mean, this is this isn't really Buffalo hardcore, but you know Flea. Yeah. I mean, Flea, just to hear about it. I don't even know anything about Flea. He just intrigues the fuck out of me. Like, yeah, he, that would be kind of interesting. I don't know what to ask him, but that'd be kind of interesting. Yeah. <laughs> we can get Flea and Eric Starchild on the same episode. <laughs> I mean, holy shit. That'd be ridiculous. That would be the weirdest, the weirdest conversation that anybody's ever had. Yeah. <laughs> that would be ridiculous. We can make it happen. Yeah. We can make anything happen. <laughs> So yeah, those are my suggestions. Cool. All right. Well, thank you guys for being on the podcast. This was fun. I enjoyed the little stories that you gave, and it was just pretty cool. You got anything coming up you want to plug on the way out? Walker's buys and sells records, so Walker, put out your info. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do I, how about music's almost sold out, so if you're going to go to that, there's like 40 tickets left. Uh, when is this going to go? When are you going to air this? Sometime in the next couple of weeks okay um wear a mask get vaccinated what the fuck good advice killing me excellent plug killing me so there we go you're killing this guy this is this guy's livelihood man kids kids, you know (laughs) gonna feed them kids (laughs) all right boys i appreciate it yeah Yeah, thank you thanks thanks for joining us take care Yo, shit, man, you hear those beats coming to that brother's car over there? Yo, word, that shit's dope, man. What is that? Yo, those beats be hard. Go ask him what that shit is. Yo, bro, what those beats coming out those Alpines? Cold chillin' 98. Illin', illin', chillin' like a villain. I got to the rhymes because I am willing to. Watch out the beats that you all need to hear for my lyrical throat Cause as you all know, the budgets are back, yeah We're just getting warm pretty soon We'll take the world by storm With Donnie D's vocals and the ringer's rhymes All we need is a little time You ask why? It's to establish ourselves It's the funniest band to come off the shelves We're selling out at every store We're leaving the people thirsting for more For what? The budgets they say Asking for us every day Girlies calling us left and right, and people stalking us through the night. With people saying we are the best, we're the B U D G E T S. The budgets, yeah, we are the best. Put your hands in the air, come on, come on. Put your hands in the air, so I know you're out there. Come on, come on, put your hands in the air. Put your hands in the motherfucking air. With Mitch on strings and all our rhymes, we'll make you happy with all our lines. We're almost done, but not quite yet, so do not fear and do not fret. We got lots more songs for you to hear, so take a listen and open your ears. For what? The best new band of the motherfucking year.